Good evening. I'd like to also start with a prayer. And I thank you for the beautiful prayer, Father. I in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, come into our lives this evening. Open our hearts and our minds. Draw us nearer to each other and nearer to you. And give us the courage to see the people that we are. Courage to explore the people that we can become. And courage to make that journey. Amen. My name is Diana Richardson, and I've been a parishioner at St. Patrick's since 2011. I am married for almost 25 years now to my husband, Dan, and we have four sons and ten wonderful grandchildren and two dogs. I was raised Presbyterian, and I converted to the Catholic faith at the age of 23 because I married into a very, 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 very Catholic family. <laughs> I liked the church, but I had very little understanding of the meaning of most of its traditions. I didn't believe in going to confession, or that Jesus was present in a wafer of bread, or in a priest. I was a half Catholic, or maybe just a quarter Catholic, it wasn't until I was 48 years old that I actually started to really become the Catholic that I had professed to be every Sunday at Mass. There was a brief period for a couple years after I joined where I wasn't attending church regularly, but after a co-worker called me out on not teaching my children about Christ, I rarely missed a Sunday Mass. But I was there to get a punch in my ticket to heaven because I thought that that was the right thing to do. I needed to make sure that my children had the chance to learn about God. It never crossed my mind that that was something I should be doing at home. It was more a little something that the church took care of on Sundays and Wednesdays for an hour. I decided when I joined the Catholic Church that I would get the Sacrament of Reconciliation or Confession once in order to be confirmed, but I wasn't about to tell all my mistakes to any priest. So it was not a good confession. I couldn't even begin to tell you what the difference was between a mortal sin, a great offense in which you knowingly and willingly violate one of God's commandments, or a venial sin, which are not as great, but more imperfections and lack of virtue or charity. I could tell you the reason that I don't know is because no one explained it to me, but I'm quite sure that there's a good chance it was explained to me more than once. But the good Lord was merciful enough to make sure that I did learn eventually, much later in my life, though, but I thank him for that. He knows how to get our attention, and he knew with me a gentle nudge or a whisper was not going to do it. For the better part of my life, I was blessed beyond measure to have wonderful jobs that paid me more than I could have ever dreamed of making. The more I made, the more I wanted. And I could most assuredly say that money was my God. I began to be obsessed with making more and more money and moving up in the company. So much so that I gave up far too much valuable time with my family. Time I'll never get back. 
It would be an understatement to say that I was very full of myself and very self-obsessed. But I was very good at justifying everything I did. And I had myself convinced that if I didn't look out for number one, no one else would. I kept God in my back pocket until he woke me from my self-obsessed slumber. In 2005, when my husband Dan was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, we were a couple months into the chemo treatments and I had been doing a great job keeping my everything is gonna be fine face on. But it was really starting to sink in that I could lose my husband the man that I'd taken for granted for the past 16 years. I had a job at that time that required me to travel five to six days a week, three to four weeks of a month for about the past five years. And although I liked my job, I was really starting to hate the travel because I was missing everything that was going on at home with my family. I did get permission to cease the travel during Dan's chemotherapy, and I thank God for that. I'd wait until my husband Dan fell asleep in his chair in front of the TV in the evening, and then I'd go upstairs into my bedroom to cry where he couldn't hear me or see me. I was becoming more and more depressed and withdrawn. As I sat on the corner of my bed one night, whimpering, I looked out the window and I said, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you leaving me here with a job I don't like and taking my husband away from me? I wasn't praying, why are you doing this to my husband? I was praying, why are you doing it to me? It's sad, but that shows you where I was at. But our God is a God of great mercy. He looks far beyond our selfish pleas. As I sat crying and rocking on the corner of my bed, a voice in my head said, pick up your Bible. I stopped crying instantly, and I just sat there and wondered, where did that thought come from? I looked over at my Bible, and the voice said, Pick up your Bible. It's been sitting on your nightstand since you were a child, and you've yet to open it. I looked over and reached for my Bible that had indeed been traveling with me since I was a child and not opened. I then heard, this is the most important book that you will ever own, and you haven't bothered to read it. I had spent the last three months reading every book in our house to keep my mind occupied as I sat by Dan during his chemo. Every single book except this one. I just sat there a bit stunned and I thought to myself, but what part should I read? The voice said, just open and put your finger down. So I opened my Bible and I turned to Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am weak and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I got chills, and I still get chills every time I think about it. I just looked out my window and up to the heavens, and at that very moment it was as though a veil was left, lifted, and I knew that God was real, and he was present there with me at that moment. A stillness and a total peace came over me. I looked up to heaven and said, God, I give you my burdens. I give them all to you. Looking down at my Bible, I realized God just spoke to me through this book. His words are alive. This is not a history book. God is speaking to me at this very moment through this book. I am going to read this book. And I started the next day pouring over his word. And I pray that I never stop. My husband did recover and is still in remission. And I thank God for that. So many things happened between that night in 2005 and 2009. But we'd be here all night if I told you all of them. So I'm going to fast forward to October 2009. I went on a trip to Israel on a trip to the Holy Land that I now realize was predestined to be taken. God loves everyone infinitely, even the sinner. The events of my October 2009 trip to the Holy Land are absolute proof of that. In September, a friend approached me and asked me to go. She said five other women from the area were going to be going with a priest from Rome who is very charismatic. He has many of the same charisms as Padre Pio. I had no idea who Padre Pio was, and I really didn't even understand what charisms were or what it meant when they said that he could read souls. So I didn't want to act stupid. I went out and rented a movie and got a book about St. Padre Pio. I watched the movie, and I saw how he was actually able to tell people their sins when they weren't making a full confession. There was one girl in particular that he kept prompting and asking her if there was anything else that she wanted to confess, as he knew that she was not making a full confession and she had mortal sin on her soul. He actually sent her out of the confessional and refused to absolve her. She ran off totally devastated and crying, and I remember thinking that would be absolutely mortifying. I need to go to confession before I go to the Holy Land, because if this priest was anything like that, I did not want to be embarrassed. <laughs> the problem was, I had no idea how to make a good confession. My perception of confession was, you go in with your bucket full of stuff, and you skim a little bit off the top, you throw it down on the table, and then the priest gives you absolution, and you leave clean as a whistle. So I went to confession a week before my trip, and I did exactly that. Approximately three days into the trip to Israel, we went to Mount Tabor, which is the Mount of Transfiguration. It was here that the Lord chose to begin a major transformation in me. When we got to the top of the steep mountain, 
We climbed out of the bus and marveled at the beautiful, sunny day. We went in, inside, and into the chapel of Elijah to have mass. I sat next to a wooden door with a little six-by-four-inch open slab that went outside. Father was talking to us about how the ancients believed that the clouds were a sign of God's presence, and his voice was like that of thunder. And they would climb the mountains in an effort to be closer to God. <coughs> about halfway through the mass, I felt a mist on my cheek. I looked, and I realized that it had clouded over, and it was sprinkling, and a soft mist was coming through the slab in the door. And soon, a low rumbling of thunder came in from the distance. And I thought to myself, wow, God is making his presence known. How awesome is this? When it came time to go up and receive communion, the storm was directly over us and getting more intense. At the very moment that I approached Father and knelt to receive the Eucharist, a loud crack of thunder boomed and a bolt of lightning came down and struck hard and all the lights went out. Within seconds they were back on and we continued. At that time, I was enjoying the feeling of God's presence. But in retrospect, I later understood he was speaking all right. He was telling Father, this one is in a state of mortal sin and offends me by approaching my altar in this state. Sound harsh? Well, it's not. This is what we call God's abundant mercy. The 38 people on the trip I was with were all anxious to have time to go to Father for their confession. I was anxious merely out of curiosity to see what this soul reading was all about. At dinner, they buzzed about when we would be sending the sign-up sheet around. So I was feeling quite special when Father came up to me after dinner out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to go to confession this evening. And I said, yes. He said, write your name on the sheet and then pass it around to the others to sign up. And I'll take them in the order that they sign up. Meet me on the Sea of Galilee at 8.30. At 8.30, I nervously rushed out to meet him. He walked me to the water's edge where we sat two chairs facing the sea. The full moon was brilliant and it was reflecting down on the water and the night could have not been more beautiful. He said, go ahead. I said, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I proceeded to give him a very general overview of a few things at that moment that I could have recalled doing that might have offended God. Something along the lines of, I've sworn a couple times and I fought with my husband and a few other minor infractions. He asked if there was anything else. And I thought about it for a second and thought to myself, not that I want to talk about here, so go ahead and give me absolution. <laughs> he sat in silence for a minute, and I gazed out over at the sea at the beautiful moon glistening on the water. And his next words will stay with me for the rest of my life. He said, Diana, do you understand that on Judgment Day, you will be presented with all your sins? Like a court of law, the list will be presented, 
and you will be accountable to pay for each and every single offense. Our Lord will not take the list and say, well, if you pay the first one, we'll wipe away all the rest of them. You will pay for each and every one in full. The sacrament of confession is a gift that the Lord in his great mercy has given us. If you make a humble confession with true intent not to commit the sins again, the Lord will wipe away the sin. But you must confess every offense with the intent not to continue in it. You don't just go in and say, Oh, Father, I've sworn. How many times did you swear? Oh, Father, I spoke rudely and hurtfully to my mother. How many times did you do this to the very best of your ability? If you want these offenses to be stricken from your record, you must confess every offense. Do you understand what a great gift this is? And I said, Oh, yes, Father. But clearly, the Lord knew I did not know or understand this sacrament. And I ask each of you tonight, do you? His next words, I'll also never forget as long as I live. He said, Diana, you have offended God greatly. And he then proceeded to list to me a number of the many offenses that I had committed with complete accuracy and detail. I remember looking up at the moon and feeling like someone had just ripped me open. The moon appeared like a giant microscope on me as he continued to bear my soul. My head started to spin, and I can't even describe the shock that I felt. How could he possibly know any of this? I hadn't met him until two days ago. When he was done, he said, You justify your sins, my dear. You convince yourself that if you justify it to yourself, it is no longer offensive to God. But it is. You need to get your catechism and study how to make a good examination of conscience and either make another confession later in the pilgrimage or when you get back home. I cannot give you absolution, and you will not be able to receive communion until you make a good confession. You've never made a complete confession. I said, but Father, how can I possibly remember 48 years of sin? He looked at me calmly and said, Pray to the Blessed Mother, and she will help you to remember. He gave me a blessing and sent me back to get the next person. My head was spinning. I was truly in a total state of shock as I walked back to the hotel, which was a direct shot from the water's edge to the building that my room was in. And I got lost, and I ended up in a totally different wing of the hotel. And as I was walking, I flashed back to the scene in the Padre Pio movie of the young girl who had almost an identical experience. It was as though the Lord was preparing me for this moment. I got back to my room and I spent the better part of the night in tears. I did start praying right away to the Blessed Mother for help. 
and started writing down every possible thing that I could think of. I couldn't imagine the humiliation of not receiving communion with the rest of the pilgrims on the trip. And please note, I was not grieving because I couldn't receive the body and blood of Christ so much as I was grieving because I did not want to be humiliated, which quite honestly was well-earned humiliation as I was in a state of mortal sin, and I had been for many years. The next day was another perfect proof that God was orchestrating this trip. That day, we went to Caesarea Philippi, to a location Jesus took his disciples to, to preach, to convert the pagans that worshipped many false idols, and had even turned to sacrificing their children in a cave of revealing that they now call the Gates of Hell. Father pointed out to us the rock pillars that sat in front of the entrance of the cave. It was here, he said, that Jesus pointed to one of these rock pillars and said, Simon, son of Judah, you shall be called Petrus, which means rock or Peter, as we say. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Those words resonated in my heart. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I heard them before, but for the first time in my life, these words came to life and had meaning. I realized that this scripture was actually the telling of the first anointing of a priest or a pope, and he had ordained him with the right to absolve or forgive sins or not to. Why had I never understood this before? As I stood there taking it all in and looking at the cave that they call the gates of hell and imagining how awful it must have been for the children who were sacrificed being thrown into it, it suddenly struck me. I am standing at the gates of hell. I am literally standing at the gates of hell. If I were today, die today in the state of mortal sin that I am currently in, I could very well go straight to hell. At that moment, I turned around and I looked up the hill behind me, and Father was looking directly at me, almost looking through me as if he knew exactly what I was thinking at that moment. I felt sick to my stomach, and I knew I needed to do everything that I could to make a complete confession as soon as possible. That was seriously the first time in my life I actually wanted to go to confession. As I sat on the bus, all I did was pray to our Blessed Mother to please, please help me remember everything that I need to confess. I spent all the time on the bus, my lunch hours, and my evenings writing everything I could possibly recall. 
I was almost amazed at the things that came to my mind, things that I had completely forgotten about. And I have no doubt that there was divine assistance in putting that list together. The next day, we went to the Mount of Beatitudes. After we celebrated Mass there, I walked off into the garden. It was so beautiful, with a picturesque view of the Sea of Galilee and the breathtaking gardens. I left the group and I decided to go walking down the stairs behind the church and stroll through the garden. As I went down the steps, I noticed the other young priest on our trip, Father David from Africa. He was walking about 10 steps ahead of me. I had not really met him yet. He stopped in his tracks and turned around, and as I hit the bottom of the steps, he said, Are you following me? I just looked at him and said, No, Father, I'm just coming down to walk through the garden. He turned and kept walking. I thought to myself, What an odd thing to say. It made me feel so uncomfortable, and quite honestly, I felt like a dirty rag. I thought, wow, am I that soaked in sin that even a priest doesn't want to walk in the same garden with me? Later that day, we went to the Syrian bunkers. We got out of the bus and went up the hill, walking towards the bunkers. And there were probably 20 people in our group walking up the hill. Father David was one of them. He stopped again in his tracks, turned around, and looked at me and said, Are you following me? I said, Father, we're all following you. We're all going to the same place. He didn't respond and turned around and headed back up the hill. That really bothered me. I thought, wow, he doesn't even know me. Why does it bother him so much to be anywhere that I'm at? Why on earth does he keep asking me if I'm following him? I remember at that point just thinking into myself and asking God, why do you have me here with all these holy people? I don't belong here. I just wanted to tour the Holy Land. <laughs> That evening, I shared Father David's comments to me with a few of my friends over tears, and I naturally got a great deal of sympathy, and they were equally confused as to why he was saying this to me. One friend said, I'm going to talk to him and ask him why he's saying this to you. I said, no. I felt like a child. I didn't need anybody else to speak on my behalf. The next morning, I went to get on the bus, and I saw Father David waiting outside the bus. My friend again said, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to go speak to him and find out why he's making these comments to you. And I said, no, you aren't. I will go ask him myself. So I meekly went up to him and said, Father, why do you keep asking me if I'm following you? Have I done something to offend you? I don't understand why you keep asking me that. He looked at me totally confused. He said, it was not me. I did not say this to you. I said, yes, you did. When we were walking down the stairs with him out of the attitude, and again when we were walking up the hill to the Syrian bunkers. He said, no, it was not me. 
I said, yes, Father, it was you. <laughs> he said, I do not remember ever saying this to you. I could tell by the look on his face that he was completely serious. Now I was as confused as he was. He asked me my name and I told him. He said, Diana, please sit with me on the bus today. <laughs> I said, um, well, Father, I did not want to sit with him on the bus. He said, yes, yes, Diana, please sit with me today. Oh, Lord, what next? <laughs> okay, Father, I will sit with you. I grudgingly boarded the bus to sit with the priest that didn't want me walking within 10 feet of him the day before. We sat together that day, and we started talking, and actually over the course of the next few days, we became lifelong friends. I told him about my confession with Father Machado, and he knew that I was spending all my spare time desperately trying to recall everything that I had done to offend God so that I could confess and leave there with a clean slate. The third day we sat together, and I was running out of things to write. I had pages and pages logged of things. And as we were heading back to the hotel, Father David said to me, Diana, tonight you will make your confession with me. I said, um, no, Father, not tonight. Maybe tomorrow night. He said, Diana, tonight you will make your confession. <laughs> I said, uh, thanks, but I'm not quite ready yet. Then it struck me that the next day was my birthday, and if I would make a good confession, I'd be able to receive the Eucharist at Mass on my birthday. Oh my gosh. I suddenly got so excited. How beautiful would that be to actually receive communion, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in a state worthy of receiving the King of Kings, absolved and free of the mortal sin that had stained my soul for so many years. I turned to Father David and said, Yes, Father, I will make my confession tonight with you. And he said, Yeah, yeah. As if he knew all along that this was God's plan, although he had no idea that it was my birthday the next day. So I met with him that night, and I made as complete of a confession as my heart and mind could possibly have made. Pages and pages I had, and as I read each sin, he said, yes, yes, continue, continue, or we would have been there all night. <laughs> when we were done, and he read the words of absolution to me, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No words have ever sounded so good to me in my entire life. My heart was pounding, and I felt like a weight had been lifted off of me, like I'd just been freed from a ball and chain that I'd been carrying for years without even knowing it. My soul was soaring, and the tears began to pour down my face. 
the Lord not only granted me the grace of being free of these deadly sins that I was so blind to, but he blessed me with a complete understanding of the gift that this sacrament is. It was truly as though again a veil had been lifted and the blinders removed, and I was filled with the desire never to approach the altar in a state of great sin again. In fact, one day the next spring, when I was out weeding my flower garden and I pulled all the large weeds, I then noticed that underneath there were many, many small weeds. I became quite frustrated as I thought I was almost finished and I realized I still had a lot of work yet to do. It suddenly struck me that these weeds are symbolic of our sins. Once we remove the most life-threatening ones, the Lord starts to show us the smaller ones that we need to work on to continue to grow in virtue, which is a lifelong journey. After I made my confession to Father David, I asked him if I could receive the Eucharist at Mass the next day. He said I would need to talk to Father Machado, let him know I made a good general confession and that he had absolved me, and if he approved it, I could. So the next morning, I went running out to the bus, the big black cloud that had followed me around was gone. I felt the most euphoric excitement as I approached Father and I told him I had made a good general confession and been absolved of my sins from Father David the night before and asked could I receive communion today. And I of course expected him to just say yes. But instead, he stopped and he looked up at the heavens for a minute and then back at me and said, my child, did you confess? And he proceeded to name two more sins that he had not mentioned to me the week before, when he revealed most of my major offenses to me. That took me aback. But then I realized that yes, I had recalled both of those things when I was praying to our Blessed Mother for help, and had confessed them. So of course he said yes. What a birthday that was. What a beautiful day. For the first time since I entered the church in 1979, I was able to receive the most precious body and blood of Christ in a state worthy of receiving this most precious heavenly gift. I asked someone, how often are we supposed to go to confession? I was told that the Code of Canon Law requires all Catholics to confess serious sins at least once a year. I was honestly floored. I thought, are you serious? I don't ever want to have to remember my sins that entire year, and why would you want to wait that long to get rid of them? How can someone really seriously understand the gift of confession if they go only once a year? If people really, truly understood the gift this sacrament is, they'd be fighting to get into the confessional as often as possible. They'd be lined up every time Father was in there. Who here wants to wait a year to open a gift that the Lord holds waiting for us? Confession is greatly misunderstood. For most people, it is not hard to discern bad from good. But it becomes much more interesting and far more challenging when the question is the difference between good and better. 
Confession is not only there for us to confess that we robbed a bank, where in actuality most of us never robbed banks. It's there for the greater part to seek ways of becoming better and better in the eyes of God. What was there last month that I could have gone about in a holier way? That's what we must ask ourselves. And I challenge anybody to say that they did everything this last month the way Jesus would have done it. Humility brings the greatest of graces to us. Jesus gives the greatest things to the smallest of heart. Confession reminds us repeatedly of the smallness that he wishes for us so that he can pour upon us great graces and gifts. There are only two things that keep us out of the confessional. Pride and Satan. Think about it. Father once said, you wash your hands daily, you brush your teeth, you wash your hair, you bathe, you wash your dishes, and you wash your clothes. Why is it that our soul, which is infinitely more important than any of these, doesn't get the same attention and care. St. Jose Maria Scriba once said, at the time of your examination of sins, beware of the devil that ties your tongue. There is nothing Satan hates more than to see a person walking into the confessional. And there is no one that I love to disappoint more than Satan. How many times has he talked each of you out of going? This pilgrimage that I expected to be a tour of Israel turned out to be a totally transforming experience, one that has changed my life completely. When I got back from the Holy Land, maybe two weeks later, I was reading the Bible, and I came across the following scripture, Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit could there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay each according to his conduct. The words, will repay each according to his conduct, reminded me of what Father had said about us having to pay every single offense against God in full. And the words, must follow me, reminded me of Father David asking me if I was following him and that he didn't remember ever saying it to me. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I got goosebumps when I read that. It was like the summary of my trip in one scripture. It was then that it struck me. It was not Father David asking me if I was following him. It was our Lord. I wrote to Father David and I asked him if he believed what I thought was true, and he wrote back and said yes. I knew when you said this to me that it was the Holy Spirit working because I did not say this to you. Never. 
Never will I ever doubt Christ's presence in our priests. These holy men are ordained by the church and anointed by God. Christ lives in them and works through them to bring us closer to him. St. Faustina said, the Lord told her, My daughter, just as you prepare in my presence, so also you make your confession before me. The person of the priest is for me only a screen. Never analyze what sort of priest it is that I am making use of. Open your soul in confession as you would to me, and I will fill it with my light. Like the night, I first heard a whisper from heaven in my room telling me to open my Bible. I knew once again I'd collided with heaven, and the Lord had orchestrated every moment of that trip. And I fall to my knees in thanksgiving for the saving grace, the divine mercy. He showed this poor sinner. I get overwhelmed when I stop and think about it. Who am I? Who am I that he would go to such trouble to set me back on the right path? I am the daughter of God the Father, and each of you are the sons and the daughters of God the Father. And I have no doubt that he has been and is working in your lives at this very moment to draw you nearer to him, closer to his heart. Jesus asks us, are you following me? And I ask you tonight, are you?